Are you a teacher or student who's always wanted to learn more about CubeSats in the classroom? Then don't miss this opportunity. The inaugural SmallSat Education Conference will serve as an important East Coast gathering where educators, administrators, and students will learn about CubeSats, ThinSats, and high-altitude balloon programs. Our target audiences are faculty and students from middle school all the way through college. Presenters will include existing university teams and industry experts. Attendance is free for students and educators, and exhibitors and vendors are encouraged to showcase their products and services. To learn how to start your own program, join us on October 29th and 30th at the Center for Space Education Building at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center. Please visit the website for more information and to reserve a space. You can find that at smallsateducation.org. That's S-M-A-L-L-S-A-T education.org. Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, Episode 85, Student Project Spotlight, on writing about space with Amanda Grodman. Today, Kevin and I meet with Amanda Grodman. She's an 11th grade student at Florida Atlantic University High School in Jupiter, Florida, where she participates in a dual enrollment program and strives for a degree in biology. During her time working with the Aerospace and Innovation Academy, Amanda has written several of the Let's Go to Space blogs, reflecting their weekly podcast series. She's also co-authored and illustrated a Let's Go to Space children's book that was published in 2021 and, of course, is available on Amazon. In addition, Amanda is coordinating the inaugural Small Set Education Conference's art contests for students and educators. In her free time, Amanda enjoys volunteering, weightlifting, and creating many forms of art. And both Kevin and I have had the pleasure of being her middle school teachers, so we know firsthand how dedicated to excellence she is with everything she does. As always, we hope that you'll stay tuned after for our takeaways. Amanda Grodman, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. I am excited to talk with you a little bit about how you took your passions, you know, which seemed to be more of a, of a different bent, and you kind of applied them to space. So tell us how you came to get involved with the, the work here at Aerospace and Innovation Academy and your, your interest in science. Of course. So in middle school, I was really geared towards art, mainly towards visual arts, but I was also involved in music and writing. And science was never really like a sphere that I really considered. Even though throughout my life, I had pretty much enjoyed science. I enjoyed studying animals, viewing the composition of plants. I really enjoyed um, anatomy and just kind of all components of biology. But I really didn't see myself as a science kid, considering I had a lot of weaknesses in math and kind of uh, um, analyzing problems. And so consequently, I kind of put that off to the side. And I really started to focus on art, especially since it was what a lot of people knew me by, and it was how I kind of gained recognition within my own little sphere. So I became much better at writing, I think, especially throughout middle school, because I took a lot of writing classes, and I was really involved in language arts. And consequently, I was able to write about more than just um, kind of creative stories. And I started to branch out, especially when um, interscholastic writing competitions. Um, and I started applying myself in that field. And then last year, in the middle of 2021, um, I was approached by the AIA to, um, to start working on the children's book, 
which encompassed kind of all spheres of both space, science, writing, and art. And this was something I was really excited about because I started to be able to apply myself in art in kind of the also science-y field. Simultaneously, I'd also really recognized how much I really liked biology. And um, after taking it freshman year of high school, and this also related to my experience in middle school where I took it in sixth grade and I kind of also realized how I really enjoyed that part. But like I said, I really kind of put it on the back burner and I didn't recognize how much I really liked it. And I just kind of saw it as a natural trait. So after we started working on the book, I started to realize how much more I um, related to science and how much more it wasn't just about biology, but it was also about space, chemistry, and other sort of components that throughout my, um, my middle high school career, I came to learn and become familiar with. So then after publishing the book, um, I gained a lot of knowledge about space and art and writing and about um, being a leader within a group. And I think ultimately this led me to um, really flourish in both the science and art fields, which is why I'm currently the writer of the Let's Go to Space blogs, which are on an Innovation Academy website. And yeah. I guess that's just how I have so that's a lot, right? So like you, what you, you didn't see yourself in one way, right? We talk about that as like forming a science identity. And we know that um, really helping students recognize when they're younger, what is out there and that what they can be exposed to. You felt like you had some weaknesses. So you automatically assumed that that wasn't your gig, but you found a way to take what you did identify, you know, as the artist and turn it into that. Let's talk a little bit about your book that you, you not only helped to write along with Finley, but you were certainly the, the major illustrator with that. So what were some, tell us a little bit about the, you know, the, the um, information that's in the book and what the process was, like some challenges, difficulties. So the Let's Go to Space book is supposed to be really inclusive in terms of all branches of science, specifically in aerospace. So we not only talk about the Falcon 9, but we also talk about the ISS and specific components and pieces of information that students and educators should know about these topics should they decide to um, either teach it or learn it. So we kind of go through the story of how the ISS came to be, the purpose, who's currently in the ISS, along with the Falcon 9 and methods of these vertical landings, which is how um, the, the rocket lands vertically. And in this, we kind of split into two groups originally um, of people who are going to be writing and contributing and also people who are going to be um, drawing. But we eventually just decided to kind of split it into one group, considering that both of the topics really related to each other. And consequently, we were able to kind of diverge into different writing and art sectors. And we were able to um, corroborate all the information into one final product. Would you say that was a uh, laborious and joyful experience? How would you characterize it in terms of the volume of work you did and what you what you got out of it on the back end? I, I guess, would you also say you were proud to see it finally on Amazon? I would say that initially it was pretty difficult to find out how much work we would need to put in. Originally, we had a larger body of students that were willing to contribute, but considering it was over the summer, it was kind of difficult to communicate. It was also, we were just coming out of a really difficult school year, I think across the board. So it was kind of difficult to, to ask people to produce work, even though it was understandable why people were trying to take a break. Um, eventually, I think we kind of narrowed it down, me and the other co-author, Finley, we started producing more work and kind of molding it into what we thought it would be first. 
And the product ended up being really exciting, especially to see it on Amazon. And I think in the future, we would definitely like to have more student contributors since it was really heavily um, influenced by the co-editors. But I think for the first time around, it was a pretty good product. Well, I think that's how it ends up being, right? So you're in a group and invariably somebody, one or two are going to rise to the top because not everybody is, is necessarily willing to put in or have the same work ethic, number one. But I also think when writing a book, right, and this is just my two cents, but I think it's harder to work with more people because the voice sounds different, right? So mm -hmm. like I noticed that when I'm editing papers for the conferences, if we have multiple authors, you can tell where someone's placed a section in versus where someone else is and someone's always a better writer than there's a weaker writer and trying to match those voices becomes super hard from an editorial perspective. But I wanna go back to your illustrations for a second too, because you talked about how everything was inclusive. And what I loved about your, your images, right? is that you had a student in a wheelchair, you had you know, people of different backgrounds and ethnicities. I think your artwork completely embodied the idea of the universality of space as well. How did you come to make those decisions right away? Because I know we didn't tell you that, that was your, your decision. Um, well, thank you for recognizing that. I think that especially for students who are interested in science, it's really important to show that a scientist is not just limited to one group of person, of people. And if you look at the people in the ISS, for example, they come from all different countries, all different walks of life, and they all worked really hard to be in that position. And I think that we should continue to expand that beyond just a certain pipeline of people and more um, people who have disabilities or people who are of different races and ethnicities. And I really tried to portray that in the book to show that regardless of who is reading it or who is teaching it, space, or art or writing or whatever field, it really applies to everybody. Excellent, excellent. So let's fast forward a little bit now to the blogs. So I reached out to you when Presley, my daughter was kind of so busy with college now. And I have to tell you, you know, the blogs are something that I really wanted to see take place. And it's a way for students to be able to have ownership as well, but it was too much for even me to take on. You took it on with not only a zealousness, which is like super admirable, but like you have more attention to detail in your blogs than I think even I would have been putting in. So tell me a little bit about how you started honing your blogging process. How do you go about listening to the podcast, making your decisions, and then how you do the research because you do a lot of research to add these great links. So when I was first approached with the idea of producing these blogs, I thought it was pretty interesting that I could just listen to the podcast and kind of input information, maybe with the topic that kind of reflected on what the podcast talked about. And that would kind of be it. It would just be like small little weekly projects. But as I started getting into it and I started listening to the podcast, I really wanted to personalize it based on what the interviewer um, said and what the respondent was talking about. So especially in a lot of the interviews, these people, are teachers and educators, but they're also scientists, data scientists, biologists, and they have all these different professions that I thought would it would be really good to elaborate on these specific professions. Um, and if not, more of what they talked about so that instead of just listening to the podcast and if there was one part that someone was confused about, I would try to um, elaborate on that. So if I felt that maybe one topic needed to be covered more, that's how I kind of based um, the blogs. And I also, um, included like the information of who is being interviewed so they could, um, listeners and readers can go back to the podcast. Right. Right. And I think, you know, that was for me a surprise because, you know, I was more of an English type 
you know, I never saw myself doing any of this either. So at first when I would doing, you know, the, the podcast with people, I always just assumed, you know, aerospace meant like astronauts, right? Like, oh, you're just going to be an engineer. That's it. But it, it took a while after working with Mr. Simmons to realize, no, no, this is an industry where you can apply any of those um, interests, but yet people don't know all these intricate different jobs or career fields that can exist within it. And I think your, your blogs do a really good job of bringing out the differences in the kinds of engineers and, you know, the way we can apply things like psychology or even, um, uh, gosh, I'm thinking, um, not psych psychology, what was that? Oh, law, which is our most recent one that we did a podcast recently on law and space, right? So jobs that you wouldn't associate, anything we do here on earth is going to be done in space soon. Um, I have a question. Uh, you're a rising junior, junior or senior, junior in high school. Uh, do you, aspire to do you see yourself maybe in the future being a science writer or a reporter is that something that um, you think is a possibility or is this the blogging uh, becoming a blogger just something that uh, it's really fun right now and you're enjoying it but maybe that's not your uh, ambitions in the future that's a good question I definitely wouldn't rule out being some sort of science writer um, in the future since I really do enjoy it I would definitely like to explore more of the hands-on science-y um, professions as I continue throughout my high school and college careers, but I definitely really do enjoy writing, and I hope that the fields that I do explore have some sort of connection to writing, so I will be able to apply myself in that field. We write conference papers, too, uh, like what Yasmin and Celine are now doing, right? So we can find your area of interest and uh, get yes. you going in that capacity. I, I will drop a little surprise. I'm going to be introducing you to a lady by the name of Kate Tobin. She is a like a documentary producer for like Nova and PBS. And she works with a science reporter by the name of Miles O'Brien. And he used to be with CNN, but he is a really well-known in those reporting circles. And he does... Um, in-depth pieces, right? He won't do the three minute, he'll do that 10 or 15 minute story where you really dig deep in a subject. But my goal is to connect you, you know, which we like to do is connect students with people in fields that um, these, you know, you might want to become that or you might want to meet them and see what that career is like. But I can think of nothing cooler than you connecting with them and somehow you guys working on a project together. That, that would be as good as it gets, I think, is to see your work on, um, you know, PBS or Nova or, you know, the Discovery Channel. We, so. we did talk with Dr. Knowles recently too about the second book in the series. I'm really thinking Artemis, right? I'm thinking the SLS, it seems I, natural. So we'll, I think, we'll talk about that. I think that, the, so. the backstory of the Artemis is a good one, right? You could even talk about the, the political winds of change and how we, you know, we, we start something, we stop. It's a, you know, but eventually we're here. And uh, it, the Artemis is a great story to tell. Uh, have you spent much time looking into the Artemis program yet? I have not. I would definitely wanted to um, to do that as we get more information about the possible book, but um, it's definitely something that's in the back of my mind. Right, right. Now, um, tell us, uh, you're in a new high school this year. Could you share a little bit about the courses that you are really enjoying and uh, what you're looking forward to in your last two years? Well, of I high want school. to add on to that too, because now you're at a school that's at a university as well. So if there are any differences that you think you could share with our listeners for those who are going to a, you know, a traditional high school, that might help too. Sure. So I attend Florida Atlantic University, which is located in Jupiter. The main campus is located in Boca, and that's a very large campus. 
but the Jupiter one is really concentrated around science, specifically um, neuroscience and biochemistry, considering that um, Max Planck and Scripps are right next to the campus, so it's really easy to get um, opportunities and experience through those. Um, as a student, I take classes that fulfill both my high school and college degrees. So theoretically, should I stay at FAU, I would be able to complete my first degree two years after I would graduate high school. So the credits kind of count for both. And consequently, I take a lot of classes centered towards biology, considering I am a biology major. Um, but I also take classes on data science and calculus and other classes that kind of enrich my experience at the college and help me to narrow down my majors. So I'm really enjoying a lot of those classes. And I find that there's a lot of differences between a traditional high school and kind of a dual enrollment program, especially since you get a lot more freedom in terms of time that you dedicate to classes. Um, but I really do enjoy the structure and I think it's really beneficial for those that are um, interested in pursuing a degree sooner than a typical arrangement. So am I right in that you also do not need to pay tuition? You're accepted in a program that covers your first two years of college yeah, are basically so being covered. Saver. That's great. Mm -hmm. So imagine you saying you're going into you're in calculus as the girl who didn't like who didn't think she was good at math in middle school, right? So congratulations on that. So you're going to be a biology major. What for our listeners would a career in biology or, or a degree in biology? What what are some possible career paths you could you are thinking about doing with that? So I chose biology as my major because I think it's extremely interdisciplinary. And if you look at the past podcasts as well. Um, people who talk about biology really express how much you could do in that field so yeah, like I decided to biology etc yeah yeah so I decided to choose that field because I feel like I can go into um, many fields or I could at least get some experience if I wanted to so after um, you get your first degree you could either um, or even during while you get your degree you could participate in research um, and kind of get more like the wet lab experience you could also um, probably do some field work. Um, and I'm doing biology just because I think that it'd be a good um, pathway should I decide to become either a researcher or um, decide to go into medical school, since biology has a lot of fundamentals that could kind right. of... And, and also, you mentioned a data science class. There are now these large sets of data that there are biostatisticians, right? Uh, there are folks that simply analyze large data sets and work with large uh, sets of numbers. Um, I, I think it's interesting. You chose a career path. Number one, everything we raise to eat, right? We, the food we, between feeding ourselves on the earth and addressing all the problems we've made on the earth, as far as all the types of pollution and the ecological messes we've made. Well, just even living, even living and, in and, space. And, eventually, and we think about that. the Everglades, right? We think about all the issues with GMOs. We think about all the medical research as we deal with these pandemics and, and different types of infectious disease. It, it's, it's really a wide open field, right? Yeah. So I, I, I applaud, of course, I'm self-serving. Number one, you're one of our great kids. Number two, I'm a biochemist by schooling. So uh, I'm already on your side before you even started, but it's really cool to hear that you haven't given up anything in writing and art. You're yeah. just embracing another part, which uh, which really makes you a nice whole kid, right? You're not just sitting in front of a laptop 18 hours a day, uh, you know, either writing a story or something. You, you have a really nice skill yeah. set I think you're developing. It should serve you real well in, in, when you get out of school. Thank you.
I'm going to pivot a little bit to the art now. You have, uh, you've started an art competition that's going to be held at the first small sat education conference. Do you want to share with us a little bit about what that is and how people can get involved? Sure. So at the time we're recording this, the deadline is coming up in roughly a month. And there's two different types of contests that are open to both students and educators, depending on which one they decide to enter. The first contest is kind of the more visual art contest, which includes um, submissions that could be either digital or it could be traditional, like drawing, uh, watercolor, painting, et cetera. And the main um, topic of this is to display how you think the future of space will look like. So if you think that we will colonize, if you think that we'll continue to explore space, that should really be portrayed in your piece. And this is open to um, students in two different age categories, which can be found, um, it can be found on the AI Facebook page along with the website. And the second competition we have is the 3D printer competition, which is to design the second annual Small Set Education Conference logo in which educators and students can enter. And the prizes for this include a 3D printer, um, which is alluded to educators, um, and students will also receive recognition for this. And the visual arts also offers cash as a prize. So there are two contests. One is kind of what you envision the future of space to look like, and they can choose different kinds of mediums. How do they submit those to you? I know that there's a flyer, and of course, we'll link the flyer here, um, but um, do they upload it to a drive? Or are they sending it in via email? Yes, so the visual art contest, there's an email that is linked on the flyer. I believe it's cubesetacademy at gmail.com, which you send all your submissions to. And with the 3D art um, contest, there is a QR code, which is listed on the flyer, which um, links you to a Google form, and there you could submit your file and further information about um, your attendance of the Small Site Education Conference. Right, and we want to do a shout out for our friends at the AIAA Cape Canaveral section, because they are providing the um, cash prize uh, for the student, and the educator uh, awardee of this competition is going to win a brand new 3D printer donated by- uh, For the art contest, they get the 3D uh, printer? No, for the 3D- Oh, oh the logo. Uh, logo design. Oh, okay, the different. So not only will the educator uh, winning submission, uh, the winner chosen will receive a 3D printer for their classroom. Uh, there's a small cash prize, but those are donated by our friends at the, uh, we're in the Palm Beach section of AIAA, and this is our Cape Canaveral friends. They're donating that. And they will 3D print the uh, logo for next year there on site uh, as they announce it. So it, it's a great opportunity for artists of all types, right? 3D designers. And we do need to upload those STL files because the winning file will be printed on site during the conference. So I want to thank you for organizing it. Um, between Miss C and myself and Kevin Johnson of Jacobs Engineering, we've been organizing this conference. And it's very comforting to know that I can trust someone who is not only very good at art, right, in the world of art, but also very responsible. So I'm just, you know, shamelessly thanking you for the, the good work you've done on just, you made great flyers and uh, yeah, you have great, you, you really did organize this. So this is sort of your little, this is your baby that you, you're raising. And I hope it becomes very successful. And I want us to do it every year at our conference. So thank you. 
So just to clarify for our listeners, we've thrown about a couple of acronyms. There's the AIA, of course, which is the Aerospace and Innovation Academy. That's our overarching umbrella that provides these. But the AIAA, of course, is the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. And uh, that was the, the group that the, Kevin was mentioning. So Amanda, as we kind of are closing out today, you know, I think about students who we work with, you know, we work with students mostly in middle school and, and high school now. We do have some college students, but there are probably students who are just like you who think that maybe they can't do something because they see themselves one way. What advice would you be giving to some of those younger students out there about maybe opening up their eyes to other possibilities? So I definitely say to younger students, do not limit yourself. Um, just on one field. Obviously, I was very limited to art and writing, which is fine, but I also kind of ignored other fields that I was really, um, that I really shined in, especially during elementary and middle school. And ultimately, it really just comes down to the effort that you put in. There's opportunities that are abundant anywhere, depending on where you live. And also, um, there's educators and mentors that are always there for you and will always provide these opportunities should you wish to continue pursuing them. So I think it's really important not to just limit yourself based on something that you're good at and to also try things that maybe you're not good at, but maybe you would like to continue growing in those fields. And it really just comes down to effort and perseverance. Yeah, right. that's great. So Do you remember uh, placing in the regional science fair in middle school? Yes, I think that was probably one of my first real science experiences that really shaped how I viewed science and that I was able to progress in that field. What was your what was your uh, topic? I tested the speed that Venus flytraps um, expressed when they consume different types of food. So I compared mealworms and crickets. That's right. I do remember reading. I, I do remember. Didn't we like, practice rehearsing with that? And you're talking about like, was it the ones that they grow up in the mountains of North Carolina or South they, Carolina? They grow. Or something like that? It's, it's actually in the eastern side where there's nitrogen poor soil. But in Carolina, am I right? Yes, See? The I North remember. Carolina. I yeah, they're endangered. That's uh, so funny. You get in trouble for pulling over on the side of the road and stealing them. Yeah, out but of as a kid, I like I grew up in Florida, right? I I knew they existed, but because you could see them, in, but that, they're kind of scary. I would be freaked out if they were in nature. I'm just curious, did you get your science board back, uh, board back? Do you have your trifold from the regional fair? I don't think Why so. you didn't hang it on your wall? <laughs> it, was a, it was a great project. And, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always proud of the kids that love what they do, and then they, they do some good work well, with it. So. Well, that brings me to, I guess, just another question. So you could theoretically do the science fair in high school, right? Like, even if they don't require it, that might be a good way for you to get started writing some of these conference papers is to pick an area in biology or well, one that's being worked on. So I imagine you're going to have research opportunities at the university yeah. that may not line up with the schedule of the science fair, but whatever research that you're doing, uh, Amanda, we, we will encourage you to write about it, especially if you can find an angle for space, right? I, I, think, I think, you know, our theme is whatever you do, be good at it and do something with aerospace. Uh, uh, and but she could enter through you, right, is what I'm getting at. Like, oh, let's say I, she decided she wanted to do the fair this year. Well, she's going to do a quick biology yes, one. She uh, could enter through uh, you. Is F that right? FAU has a significant workforce dedicated to things like the science oh, fair. Yeah, yeah. But I'm always glad to speak with you. And if you have any questions, I will help you any way I can. If you needed me to shepherd your paperwork, I would uh, gladly do that. Uh, and, uh, you know... I remember you when you were very reserved and very quiet in class. You were not uh, an ebullient, sort of boisterous, over-the-top kind of personality. 
but the quality of work you do is just outstanding. So it's just wonderful to see you um, finding your happy place. So I want to thank you for spending some time with us today. And we're so looking forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future. Thanks, thank Amanda. You. So for our listeners, um, I taught Amanda in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And um, we did biology, then chemistry, and then physics. And she was a very reserved and, and quiet student. And she was always known for her artistic accolades. And she, she was never like the, the top performing student. But I was so thrilled. Her, seat, her, her eighth grade year, my last year with her, was her first year competing in the regional fair and she placed and you know it's it's fun to celebrate with kids when they uh, you watch them grow uh, like that and we just have a lot of good memories of her. well and i think it's important to note that if she she saw herself in a particular way which made it seem as though maybe she wasn't she wasn't striving to be the top in that because she didn't see that as an area that she excelled in and that changed right over time she she realized that no no I, I actually am good at that and I wish we could do that for more you know students we get into this mindset of students that we're only good at x y or z but a b and c must be for someone else and Amanda has um has really shown at a young age the example of how you can take an industry and find whatever it is you love and apply it to that whatever industry it is like that's what she's doing. She, she is uh, going to be a, a triple, she's like a triple threat already because she's a great writer, she's a great illustrator, and now she's adding this whole STEM component to her life. Uh, it, I, I feel like she's, um, well, we count on her. Uh, yeah. She is an outstanding blogger. Well, she's like, an, she's like works with us. Yes. You know what and, I mean? Like she's um, part of the, the company, so and, to speak. And I really leaned on her to develop the guidelines and the basis for our, our, our art competition because of her previous experience with so many. so Well, of course, that art competition is coming up. By the time this airs, the deadline may have passed, but you can certainly reach out to us for an extension if this is the first time that you're hearing about it. You can go to the website, which is smallsateducation.org uh, to see the flyer there. She mentioned the Facebook account for the Aerospace and Innovation Academy, which is at go to space that's the number two go to space um for that as well but certainly reach out to us and of course if you're an educator or a student your attendance at that conference uh if you'd like to hear more about the aerospace industry is free as well if you sign up at that same website so as always we appreciate you listening we hope that if you, this was an important and meaningful episode to you that you'll share it with others that you will like and subscribe to our channel and of course remember the vodcast air uh the day after these so check out our youtube channel as well at aerospace and innovation academy please join us next week when we again say let's, let's go, go to space, space.